invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. Uh, we've been working through the gospel, and we are considering Christ's words tonight, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the context it comes in, and uh, giving consider- consideration to the upper room discourse. And so, we're going to consider some questions tonight as we look at this text. We should read it together just so we become familiar with it. And let's, let's have someone volunteer to read for us tonight, if they could. Somebody be willing to do that. Jeremy, go right ahead. Sure. Amen. Some great promises in these verses here tonight. Uh, tremendous uh, words of comfort. And as we dwell on these, uh, these words, we come and we have to ask ourselves, what exactly is Jesus getting at in regard to preparing a place? And as I was thinking about this text, I asked this question, what, what does the image of a house and rooms communicate to us? something that we should ask ourselves as we dig into this text. Maybe, what does it do for you, first off? Permanence, okay. Um, a house and a room. I mean, we, we build homes today, don't we? Not so that we are moving around in a tent. We want something that's a little more fixed, okay. What else? Uh, Gary at the back. Yep. 
Excellent. Yes. Yeah, we have, we have, they're places of enjoyment, they're places of relationship, comfort, uh, memories, safety, security. Um, I wanted to elaborate on something you said about place of, of remembrance, maybe, or, yeah, yes, yes. And, and, and we are of a Western mindset and an Eastern mindset Land and designation and place bore so much significance. Um, I guess that maybe what we can identify with, if, does, who has Irish blood in them here? Who's got an Irish blood? All right. Have you ever been to Ireland? You may not have been to Ireland, but you can have, feel the pull to Ireland, right? Can you feel the pull? No, you don't feel the pull. <laughs> Audrey says, no, there's no pull to Ireland. Roots, that's true, that's true, that's right. Yeah. But you don't feel the pull. <laughs> but some people feel the pull, and, you know, you know, coming through Ellis Island, you know, during the immigration waves, you know, there was something that was uh, still lingering overseas. And it does communicate um, place, identity, and purpose. Uh, there was a couple of other hands here, yeah. Yeah. I've been in our family since the 1860s. Wow. And so, you know, when we go and visit Grandma and Grandpa, we're also, like, there, um, knowing that our family has been on this land for, you know, over a century. It's really cool. We actually have the original settlers, original tombstones, so we have replaced them in the barn. So oh, wow. Like, go and, like, see, like, the original tombstones, which is really cool. Wow. Wow, that's, that's, it. that's amazing. There's comfort. The home is where people are. It's where uh, relationship is. And it brings, does bring comfort. And these are some of the thoughts that we are intended to be sensing as we come to this text. Um, now, it's important because um, Jesus introduces this thought in verse 1 with, let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, so the comfort aspect is a really big piece of this. Where have we seen the word troubled before? And it means, by the way, emotional distress, turbulence, great mental anguish. Where have we seen this used before? In Gethsemane, yes. Um, even in previous context here, too. Do you remember seeing this earlier? I know it's been about two weeks since we were in this text. Um, but does anyone... Can you remember chapter 13, some of the events that occurred? Just a little bit louder. Yes, yes, he was troubled. In verse 21 of chapter 13, it says that and after these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He was troubled. He was deeply agitated in his spirit. What's really fascinating here is now Jesus is telling his disciples not to be this way. 
Very fascinating. Yet, yeah, Drew, do you have a thought? We also see it in chapter 11 mm. when um, he's speaking to Lazarus' sisters. Yes. It says that his spirit was greatly troubled. Yes, what verse particular? Verse 33. Yeah, Jesus embodied this emotion back then too. But now he's telling the disciples, don't be this way. Is this hypocrisy? What is this? <laughs> I mean, I. And how is his trouble different than theirs? I think there's some commonality between those two utterances. Jesus was troubled in his spirit over sin. He was troubled over the effects of sin, which is death. And now he's telling the disciples, don't be troubled. Because he's going to say something, he's going to say an I am statement here just a little bit later, isn't he? Because I am the way. I am the life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That too. Yes. I'm going away. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he gave the new commandment in chapter 13, uh, the importance of loving one another while I'm away and not to be troubled. Yep. Good observations. Good interpretive points that you're bringing out. That's good. Um, let's... Let's uh, turn, put your finger here. Let's go over to Mark chapter 10 for a minute. And would someone be able to read Mark 10, 29, and 30? And also 31. Get Gary in the back. Can you see how there's a relationship between what Jesus is promising here and what he's also admonishing his disciples in John 14? Can you see a connection? How would you describe that? Yes. Yeah, there's an infinite uh, gifting that's coming from God the Father to you. Yes. Yes. Right. And you think about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lost all these things to gain a whole family of people. 
He didn't do anything that he, um, he is not telling us anything that he has not done himself. And we are a part of that family and that home and, our, and, and being a part of his, his loved ones. Um, so let's go back to John chapter 14 for a minute. And so let's think about these questions that, these statements that Jesus is making here about going away. Um, why does Jesus say, and you know the way to where I am going, in verse 4? Do they know the way? Pardon? Okay. Can you elaborate on that a little more? Okay. All right. They're looking at the way, but they don't see it yet. They're not, they're not seeing it. Okay. Uh, Drew. Yes. You know, so they're thinking, you know, what's this process mm-hmm. rather than it's a person and they do know him, they know Jesus. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so often is the case when we ask God a question, he doesn't answer it, he gives us himself. That's a very important principle and point because he is the sum total of all that we hope and long for. Yeah, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, Drew and I have had some discussions a little bit about what is Jesus getting at when he's talking about mansions here and, 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 a, and a place. I use the word mansion because that's the familiar uh, King James word, right? Do you know the history on that word and where it comes from? It actually comes from the transliteration of the Latin Vulgate. The word dwelling is a more literal translation, um, but the word in the Latin is mansiones, which sounds like mansion, right? And that's where it comes from. So we often have this idea in our, in our conceptualization that we're looking at a mansion with thousands of rooms, okay? Now there's a real potential that that's close to what will be in heaven. And um, I was talking to Drew just prior to the service that uh, in many cases, uh, the way the, the temple itself was built, there were rooms adjoining to the temple. And so when the priesthood would come and circulate from the countryside and they would come in on their rotation, they would set up, uh, they would have like a stay in a, a mansion, a little room built onto the temple. And that's where they would stay. And that's where the presence of God was. And so when Jesus is talking about in my Father's house, I think that's closer to the applicational idea of what he's thinking about. That, that in my Father's house, because when he went to his Father's house, right, I must be about my Father's business, he was in the temple. That's where his Father's house was. And there were places to live. Uh, you might remember the uh, Samballot, um, the Gentile, who was staying inside the temple, and he wasn't supposed to be there. He was kicked out when Nehemiah came in and cleaned up the, what was going on there. Um, but that was the idea. There was places and rooms. And so I think that has to inform our thinking here. Theologically, uh, he says in verse 3, 
If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. This text, I do believe, speaks strongly for the rapture of the church. I think that's an important uh, principle that is gleaned from this text. Christ is going to come for his church and bring them into the presence of God to be with him uh, forever. And so, I think that's an important principle to be seen here as well. Um, let's, uh, let's move on uh, to verses 5 to 7 because, you know, the question now becomes, well, what is the way? And, uh, oops, what did I just do? Okay, here we go. Knowing the way. So what is Thomas looking for in his question? Because So we're moving into verses 5 to 7 here. What is Thomas looking for? Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? What exactly is he asking for here? Just, just one second. I'm going to see if there's other hands that pop up. Drew's like the best student. He's like right in the front. He, you know, I, I, I got to look right into his eyes every time I turn my head. Does anyone else have a, have a thought here? Uh, and Audrey's another really good student right here. <laughs> Go ahead, Audrey. No, my, I'm thinking that, like Jeremy said, possibly he's thinking, okay, are we going to some town or something that you didn't tell us about? Yeah. You know, so how are we going to, because he's not thinking eternal. He's not, he, he doesn't want to probably, not, none of them want to wrap their mind around. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, li- he's thinking more very literal. Yeah. He's looking for a road map. He's like, so I go A, B, C, that we're going to take uh, Interstate 81 and then get off at exit 90 to Lebanon, and that's like directions to my mother-in-law. So they want to know how to get to, and they don't even know where they're going. Exactly, exactly. So it, it's a good question, though, because it does show concern. It shows that he's serious. But he's also uncertain. And I don't think that Christ is faulting him for that, but he definitely wants to help him in his understanding. So, another follow-up question here is, in what way did, G- did the Jews believe one came to the Father? And I think this is an important question. Think through even the book of John. How did the Pharisees talk about coming to the Father? How did you get to know Him? Dave? Lineage plays a large part. Yes. The law had a major piece. In fact, uh, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in John chapter 5 by saying, look, you think that you, you know the Father by going to the law, but you've missed the one to whom it points, which is me. And so they thought that they knew the way to the Father, but they had missed the critical piece that would take them there, which was a relationship with a person, which was Jesus, the coming Messiah. Uh, that's a really important question because he's trying to, Jesus is cutting through the fog here because the fog, it's really foggy. And now he's saying, now in verse 6, no, no, no. This was the way, 
that was designated in the past. But now he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty, pretty bold statement to a Jewish audience. Why would that be a, a very bold statement? Yes. God is one, but now Jesus is saying that he's, he's God. Does that still a relevant question for us today? <laughs> In what way is this relevant for us today? Yes. Yeah. All roads lead to Rome. There are many ways that you can get to God. You just pick one of them. They're all as good as another. Go ahead, Drew. Um, this is even important when we realize that like, more and more people are becoming agnostic or atheistic. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this afternoon I was watching a documentary about how even um, Americans who don't want to believe in any religion or anything like that are still looking to spiritual things and mm-hmm. things that come from Eastern religions even if they don't believe in the religion itself, just because they feel like well, there might be some sort of benefit from doing these different activities, mm. they're, you know, we, they're, they're still admitting that there's something more than just the physical. Mm. So people are still looking for some sort of way. Yep. Even if, yeah, yeah, or like, even things like Tai Chi and like yoga, you know, like they're using these things um, even though they don't want to admit and, or, you know, subscribe to the religion. Right, right. Yeah, they're still looking for something. Yeah, uh, Stephen Hawking just had a posthumous, not humorous, posthumous uh, book published. Um, and in it, you know, he basically said there is no God, but then he says, well, there may be alien life forms. Do you see what's happening there? People are substituting different concepts for God. And it betrays the fact that we all have this natural, innate understanding of a God. General revelation. We need the specific revelation of the way, the truth, the life coming to us in Jesus the Son. And so, go ahead. Some other thoughts, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a very hard concept to wrap your head around. That this one that you see in front of you is the one that you've been told all of your life that you cannot see or access unless you see him, you die. Absolutely. Dave.
Good points. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's uh, kind of like um, God doesn't give us, and I said this this morning, when we have difficulties and trials, um, God doesn't give us a pat answer. Instead, he gives us a story, and he shows us through people processing and seeing, like in the life of Joseph, at the beginning that didn't make sense, but towards the end of his life, you're able to see through the story how God has worked. So it's a similar type of dynamic there, I think, that we're sharing. Sorry, my mind went a little bit different direction. But your point is exactly it. Um, what does that mean here from now on in verse 7? From now on, you do know him and have seen him. First off, maybe we, we need to digest the other aspects of what he's saying there, too. You know, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Pardon me, John? Yeah, don't forget him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yes, exactly. Jesus said, here I am. I am. And that's not by mistake. Throughout the Gospel of John, there are uh, seven, at least seven, I am statements. The word I am is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. And these all are statements about his personal identity. And for him to say, I am this, I am these, these are all characteristics of Jehovah. And now he's saying, look, now you have seen him. I've declared to you that I am. And so there's a lot there to process. Um, but from now on, you do know him. And, yes? Who I am is. 
probably was not as familiar because he grew up in Pharaoh's household with the I am, but they kind of know. Yep. So down through history, they know Moses is the closest one that has can come face to face with God. Yes. You know, the, the closest. Yes. And so Moses knows the I am, and here is someone even way younger than Moses. Yes. That he is the I am. And so I, I believe in some way Jesus is saying, you know the scriptures. Yes. You, you, know, you know the scriptures, and I am now taking Moses' place. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Excellent. I'm just thinking about time here and being careful with our time. Verses 8 to 11 um, speak of greater intimacy of relationship that's being uh, shared here with Philip. Um, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough. And Jesus said, well, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so Jesus here is describing his unity. He's, he's showing that his, he has an essential unity with the Father that exists prior to his own incarnation, his own coming into the world. He's showing that he has a unity. But there's, there's also a, uh, there's a functional unity that he has with the Father as well that exists in the creation that he's living in. Okay, I don't want to go too deep here, okay, but he's saying on the one hand, I am one with the Father within the Godhead, but because he's now in creation as the Son of God in Jesus, something he's doing displays this unity. Can you see what that is? What is it? And we have to read a little bit further. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So, do you see what Jesus is appealing to here for his essential unity with the Father? Yes. Yeah, he is. He's saying, look at all these miracles that I've done. I have done all of these miracles. I've raised people from the dead. I've turned water into wine. I have fed the 5,000. I mean, believe on the fact that I am essentially, I am one with the Father on the basis of these works that are happening within the creation. Only God can do those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just exactly. It's Christ. Christ is uh, the firstborn of all creation. He is the initiator of all that we see that exists in John, John 1, 1 through 4. So, Jesus is saying, look, now this is an important principle that he's getting ready to lay out because he's getting ready to talk about someone who's going to come and dwell with us. Okay. So he, notice he's, he's gone from, in the first few verses, talking about our need for comfort. He's now talking about himself as being one with the Father. 
and he has the, the, the power within himself to provide comfort, he's getting ready to show us that his intimacy with the Father is the bridge to intimacy with the Father. And that's going to come in a gift. Now, we're in John chapter 14, and the broader context talks about this gift. What is that gift? It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be a bridge. Uh, it's, a, it's a gift that's given to us from the Father and the Son, and because of the Son. But we know the Father because of the Spirit dwelling within us. And that intimacy that exists between the Father and the Son is ours through the Holy Spirit. And what a blessing that is. It's a peace that passes all human understanding. It, it makes us able, uh, a couple Sundays ago when we had communion in the evening, I talked about it's the Holy Spirit that actually gives us the capacity to love God. I mean, we have never seen God. We have never seen Jesus in the flesh, but we love him, as Peter says. And that comes to us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that comfort and the helper brings us uh, that, that relationship. Um, so, Jesus is seeking to lead the disciples into greater degrees of intimacy. And he's going to give them a gift. I'm going to go on to um, this last question here. In verses 12 to 14, he talks about greater works that they will do in his name. Um, on the basis of these verses, do we learn how we, are, we, we ought to pray? Let's, let's look at this for a minute. How do, we, how do we, we're learning to pray. Sometimes people will ask, well, how am I supposed to pray? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Do we see any indication in these verses of how we ought to pray and to whom we pray? Or how we pray? Yes. Yes, we are. Asking in Jesus' name. He is the one who provided the access. He is the way, right? His blood paid the way for our ability to be in the presence of, of the Father. Okay? So we pray to the Father through the Spirit because of the Son. And this is taught to us here in these texts. So it's a, it's, it's a useful... So when we pray in a church service, we typically pray in that fashion. We pray our Heavenly Father. And the Lord's Prayer is set up with our Father, which art in heaven. And so we typically end our prayer by praying in Jesus' name. We may not mention the Holy Spirit by name, but it's, that's the capacity of relationship that gets us into the presence of God. And so, those are the, the whole Godhead is involved in our intercession. You know, Romans chapter 8 talks about, you know, we don't know at times even how to pray. But the Holy Spirit is groaning even on our behalf as we pray. Words that can't be uttered. And so, but we have the comfort of knowing that we are heard. Yeah. Father, because Father is so many, the generous of us, but not use the name of Jesus. 
I'm not sure if I understand that question. Oh, just praying, pray, like praying directly to Jesus? Or you can't say Father because Father to many is just a general term. It's not pointing towards Christ. But when you use the name of Jesus, it's identifying Jesus. And, you know. mm-hmm. So as believers, should we fall in that or should we continue to pray in the name of Jesus regardless? You know, uh, um, find ourselves adopting to just not mentioning the name because um, sometimes it can become like where we find ourselves not mentioning the name of Jesus. So we just pray. pray. Huh. That's, a, that's a thought that I've not come across personally. Yeah. Um, but I think from... Oh, oh. Oh, okay. Is that what you're saying, to be more neutral? And, and in a lot of oh. because I, I okay. Okay. Right. Now I understand what you're saying. Um, Yeah, it was very popular, and even politicians. I know um, George W. Bush, um, I believe, is a believer, but he very often, when he would talk about, he would talk about the Almighty God, okay, which is the most general name for God, not getting too specific. I do believe that he is a believer. Um, So, just just an example, sometimes I think as, as we are in public settings, people might be intimidated at times to pray specifically to the Heavenly Father. Um, and if, so uh, to that? Oh, no, no. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And in a public worship service where we are here, we should be doing that. If we are in praying in public out there, we should pray to whom we believe is the true and living God. No question. No question. Yeah. Right. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Right. Correct. And it's also not formulaic. It's not a formula, like you said. The reality is, if there is not a heart of faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, a prayer in Jesus' name is nothing. Okay? There has to be living power behind it. It can't be a dead letter. It has to be of the Spirit in real faith uh, for it to, to make any difference. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. In his kingdom. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so just a couple of last questions here because um, it's going to lead us into the next segment of the promise of the Holy Spirit in verse 15, but it's important to see this transition because um, he says, you know, if you ask 
me anything in my name, I will do it. And he talks about there's greater works than these that he will do. Um, who is he talking about there? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Who is he referring to? Uh, Drew? Is that the Spirit is about to move in the apostles to give the church to those miracles as well? I believe that that is the pronoun reference. I believe, I think that you could argue that it is referring to the Holy Spirit, and I, I think that makes the most sense because it's singular. Okay. Yeah, Gary? Yes. 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 So the works that he will do there, um, I believe, is referring to the Holy Spirit. And so he's kind of getting ahead of himself. <laughs> I mean, can you fault Christ for doing that, getting ahead of himself in his getting ready to prepare us to hear a discussion about the Holy Spirit who will come, the Comforter. And this is a, a foreign thought. Again, we're introducing a third person of a trinity. God was one. Here we go. We have the Holy Spirit, and we also have the Son. This is a lot to take in. I mean, we've been doing this for 2,000 years. But these people were, this was all new. So we have to cut them some slack a little bit. Um, but there is a difference between the signs and works. And I'm just going to close with this here. Jesus Christ himself demonstrated signs about his identity. Okay? The works that the Holy Spirit does is service and orientation. There's something that, that's intended to work within the life of the church and not necessarily about uh, demonstrating the identity of who Jesus is or who the Spirit itself is. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, um, sometimes it's, it's called the forgotten God, okay? Some, there's a book title about that. But the, the concept, though, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't exalt himself. He exalts Christ, okay? So that's a legitimate thought. The Holy Spirit doesn't promote himself, but he exalts Christ, and so we know Christ through relationship through the Holy Spirit, and he does the great works of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church. And these things are great works. Our tendency is to look at the signs as being the great works, but the real great work is the miracle of salvation and the transformation of hearts into to living vessels of love. These are critical. And so... We need to understand, and I'll answer this last question as we close, these last comments of verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are intended to give us an inquiry into what's he going to talk about next, which is the Holy Spirit. And we ask for a fish. God gives us something even greater. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And uh, alluding to Luke, Luke's gospel. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you that we can come to you because of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all of our sins and puts us in a position of favor with you. Lord, may we not neglect so great salvation, but may we uh, grow in our desire and love for you, that we would walk in holiness, that we would follow closely after you. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious gift.
and thank you for the Holy Spirit. And so we know that we come to you uh, with, with, with great needs even this week. Pray that you would help us to be faithful as we go to our workplace, uh, take care of our families. Uh, may we model Christ to the lost and dying world. And may souls come to know you through interacting with us. And we thank you for all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.